0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, I want to ask you if you would just bow with me because I feel I need a, just a second of prayer here. And uh, So let's pray together. God, we're about to look into your word. The truth is all of us are in a different place right now. Some of us are very distracted. Um, our hearts are raging or they're numb. So I pray that you would be true to your word, that your word would be like a double-edged sword and it would cut through everything, the defensive walls, the, all the things. And I pray, God, right now at this moment, that your word would have power. I pray that even for me, that it would have power in my own heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. We're winding down our series in Acts, and starting January of 2011, we're going to be back to the 100 Things series, but we're going to turn the corner, and I'll be preaching out of the New Testament for the remainder of 2011. Fifty key lessons from the New Testament that if you're hanging out of the church for a year, you really should know these things. And that's kind of the theme of that series. Is if you don't hear anything other than these fifty, at least we'll give you a clear picture of what some of the big themes of the New Testament are. Well, we're gonna wrap up our Acts series with um, this message and the one after this one. And I'm gonna read for you from Acts chapter twenty-eight, verses one through ten. I didn't think we we're gonna have this projector this morning, so I thought we were gonna give our our paper Bibles a workout, but it turns out all you got to do is stare at the screen again, so just go ahead and at least pay attention to it. I'm going to read from the NIV, Acts chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects, and the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. You guys know from last week's announcement that I spent the week in Orlando, and it was very hard what I got through it. Um, that 80 degree weather was really irritating, the hot tub was a little too hot, and you know, so. I'm teasing, of course. It was the most refreshing five days I've spent in a very long time, and I spent it with friends who are like brothers to me. One was actually my brother. The other guys, man, they are like closer than blood brothers to me, and uh, we, I mean, grown men just praying for each other, weeping over each other. It was friendship at a level that I wonder how many people in this world ever really get to taste of, you know, before they pass. I know what it is to hang out with guys. We enjoyed a good steak, and, uh, you know, we we went swimming and things like that. Um, Six guys swimming, it turned out, was actually a little weird just by ourselves. But, um, you know, we we know how to hang out, but I wonder how many really get to enjoy brotherhood or sisterhood at a level like that where you're not just playing, but you're ministering to each other. And that was such a gift to me. And the reason I bring that up, uh, partly to make you jealous, but also partly... Um, the house that we rented, we usually use the same company. They, they rent out vacation homes, and uh, we decided to save money, and we got a bargain home this year. And i got to tell you, from the minute you walk in, there was just something about this house that said, you're not welcome here. There were signs everywhere, framed signs on literally every wall, every nook and cranny, over every appliance, warning us of the penalty and the fines that would be assessed. Against us, if we broke this, if we pulled that the wrong way, if we whatever. If we left more than two large sacks of trash in the garage, we'd be fined $50. If we did this, if we did that, if we forgot to turn off the heater. And you know, I understand that the owner is trying not to lose unnecessary money, but he's in the hospitality industry, and there was nothing hospitable about the atmosphere of that house. And so, right from the get go, I felt a little on edge like this person doesn't know what business he's in. I think hospitality is such an important thing for the Christian community to awaken to. And I really believe that hospitality properly practiced is one of the most powerful tools God uses to bless other human beings through us. Now, I think the Bible defines hospitality this way. It is the opening of your home and your heart to other people. You know what's interesting is in the Middle East, the context in which so much of the Bible events were taking place, there was a very deep and rich historical tradition of hospitality even to strangers. The people you don't even know, they're just wandering along and they knock in and they go, Hey, um, we're really hungry and tired and we need a place to stay and you've got a really nice house. What do you say, buddy? And in that tradition, people will go, you know what? Come on in. I've been a traveler before. I know what it's like. And people would do this all the time. And in many, many other parts of the world, that is still practiced today. I get amazed how easily when I travel for missions and international travel, people will just say, hey, let's drop in on these people. I'm sure they'll give us a meal and we'll have a wonderful time. And I'm always, as an American, I'm going, did we call ahead? Are they expecting us? Did they clean up? But these people are, who cares? They just go. They're our friends. And I'm amazed how open homes are overseas. It's not really like that here, is it? Let me ask you a question. When you are not expecting guests, is the sound of the doorbell like a happy sound or, oh my gosh, who is that? Isn't it funny how the sound of a doorbell or a, a knock on the door in America, when it's not expected, produces anxiety? Even a little fear, doesn't it? I think we have lost touch with the beauty and the gift of hospitality, especially when we're not ready for it. When the person is not someone expected or even known, but we have an opportunity to open our our hearts and our homes to other people. And so I want to speak out of this text because I really believe there's something beautiful we learn about the power, the value of the ministry of hospitality through this text. The first thing I see is that hospitality makes you a blessing. It's the part where in in doing hospitality, you give something away, and it's something of such value. Let me set the scene for you a little bit about what's going on in Paul's life. Because he's writing almost like he's on a cruise, he's on a mission trip, but he's not, he's a prisoner. He's being escorted by Roman guards to Rome where he's going to stand trial, and most certainly, as he's been told through the Holy Spirit, he's going to die in Rome. That's why he had a tearful farewell to his friends in Ephesus, saying, I'm never going to see you again on this earth. He's on the way to a death sentence, and yet Paul's writing like he's just on a little trip. Let me, let me set the scene for you. He's going to go and die in Rome, but while they're there, they had one heck of an adventure trying to get there. They finally find a ship, and all of a sudden they're hit by this storm. Have any of you ever been on stormy seas? Have you ever been? Have you ever seen the oceans boil at night? We went on a cruise once and we looked over the shore and they had like really high waves. And I just thought, man, if I ever fell into that, I would die before I hit the water from just sheer fright. These guys are in a 14-day sea storm. No GPS, no radios, no Mayday. They're just, God help us, we're going to die out here. They're ready to throw everybody overboard and just swim for it. Try to to make something out of this situation. And Paul says, no, God's given me all your lives. Just stay put. And after 14 days, finally the storm passes. As morning comes, these guys are at the end of their rope. They see land. Nobody recognizes the shore. But they say, let's go for it. And their plan is to run the ship aground on the shore. And so they set the sails and just go for it. But before they get to the shore, they run aground on a sandbar. And then the rocks and, and the waves just start crashing onto the boat and it's tearing the boat apart. I don't know if you've ever seen a ship run aground. You can't even see it here, but there's a ship here, a real ship in this modern era that ran aground, and the waves are like sledgehammers pounding. It rips the boat apart, and that's what was happening. The stern, for people who don't know about boats, it's the back and the butt of the ship, is being ripped apart by the waves, and pretty soon this thing's going to sink. The Roman guards, fearing that the prisoners are going to escape, Decide, we got to kill all these prisoners before they get to swim away. And they're about to do it, but the centurion on command, he says, I want to spare Paul's life, because he came to respect and love Paul. And talk about a prisoner-guard relationship. And so he says, let's not, let's not kill them, let's trust them, and here's what we'll do. All the guys who know how to swim, raise your hand. I, I don't know if it's a good thing to raise your hand or something like that, but he, he says, you guys jump overboard and swim for shore. And then everybody else who can't swim, there are pieces of the boat breaking off, giant planks. You hang onto to one of those and you just pray it keeps you afloat. And here's the amazing thing. All 276 men on board, the ship's crew, the contingent of Roman soldiers, and all the prisoners they were guarding, all 276 without loss, make it to shore, cold, tired, terrified, I'm sure this was the longest night and the longest day they had ever known. And I don't know if you know what it's like to be in all your clothes, drenched cold, just freezing in the pre-dawn chill, and they're washing ashore onto this beach. Can you imagine how good it felt to touch dry land? The relief of just being alive. But then here's what happens. They look up, and look what it says. Once they were safely on shore... We found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders, and here, right there, let me just pause, because they didn't know what these islanders were like. They get up and they're like, oh my gosh, we're alive, but then they see all these people starting to come from the, from inland. Now I want you to know that 276 men just washing onto shore, half of them Roman soldiers with armament. It looks like an invasionary force. It doesn't look like, oh, look, that happens every day. 276 men just wash up on the beach like driftwood. And so you can imagine the islanders are probably pretty nervous, and they probably picked up a few sticks and whatnot, and just, let's see what these guys are about. And so there's this tense meeting where neither side knows what the other side's about. Can you imagine the relief, then, when these islanders start smiling? They go, hey, welcome to our island. I mean, that's not a normal reaction. Do you understand that? If it were me, I would have been like, let's shoot a few of them first from over here with an arrow and see what they do. I'm not going to risk my life going, hey, what are you armed guys doing here? And so you can understand what an amazing move of God this is in these people's hearts, what, uh, what unique, extraordinary people the Maltese were. They walked up there and they said hello, and it says right there on the beach, they showed unusual kindness, they built a fire, and I don't, By the way, I don't know what we're looking at there. That's a picture, actually, of uh, St. Paul's Bay in Malta today. They believe that that's actually the site where Paul came ashore. It's my dream to someday stand on that beach and read Acts 28. That kind of stuff, I don't know why it moves me. I don't know if you care about it, but that kind of stuff really moves me. So I'm dreaming, praying someday God will let me be on Malta and read. But it says that it was raining, it was cold, and I don't know if you've ever felt the joy of a warm fire when you're freezing, but what a symbolic thing of what hospitality feels like. I love how it says, when they were safely on shore. That is such a rich phrase given the circumstances. What it felt like after such a harrowing experience, almost facing death, to find people who would take you in and extend to you hospitality they are not obligated to give you. I mean, talk about an imposition. It's not a small thing to feed and clothe and house almost 300 grown men. I know that I wouldn't welcome that opportunity as a good thing. I would be like, oh, man, what do we do? This is a crisis. I'd call all of you and subcontract the hospitality because I'd freak out a little bit. And these people took them in. I wonder if we fully understand what it's like to be an outsider in need and then to find Friendly hands and friendly hearts that embrace us. I remember reading stories and watching movies of World War II and of the Nazi persecution of the Jews and how some of these Jews fleeing for their lives had to trust somebody. You know how scary it is when you feel like you can't trust anyone? And then they they say, hey, somebody knows of a safe house. Go to them. And that first tense moment when you're wondering, are these people going to turn us in or are they going to take us in? And imagine the relief when you realize these people are friendly. They're they're not just nice people, they represent the difference between life and death for us. And that feeling can be multiplied, magnified each time we extend a warm welcome to others. One of the things I've always loved about Harvest is that feeling of warm hospitality. I felt that over and over and over again in so many of your homes. I have seen the inside of many of your homes The humble house, the palatial house—it doesn't matter. It's not the size of the house or the beauty of the decor. It's the family that lives there and the degree to which they say, "You know what? I want my house to feel like your house." And I really feel that. You know, me and my old friends were joking around once. We said, "What's your measure of how warm you feel? How warmly you feel received in a house?" It's a little crass, but they said, "I feel like at home in a house when I feel like I can do a number two in their bathroom." How's that for honest? Right? But that's what we're talking about. Where you're not on edge, you're not thinking about your management. You're like, man, I feel like this is my house. It's my house. These people are family to me, and I just feel so warm here. And that's the way. See, I believe so many people in America are so fixated on how beautiful their house looks. And instead of engendering or evoking feelings of warmth, all it does is evoke feelings of envy. Come see my home and look at all the stuff you don't have. It seems like that's what some people are about, but what I love about the people here is that doesn't seem to be what we're after. I've been in some homes that could be an architectural digest, and after a second or two, I don't even see the house. I see a family that lives here, and I'm just chilling. And I love that about Harvest. I hope and pray we never, ever lose that. I want to draw your attention to a couple quick things here. It says that the villagers, or the islanders, by the way, that word in the Greek is barbaroids, literally barbarian, okay? But that doesn't mean that they were natives wearing grass skirts. It just means that they didn't speak Greek or Latin. These people were very civilized. They were very gracious. And it says they, they showed us unusual kindness. I love that word. What it says is it's kindness above and beyond. A kind of hospitality that thinks I had to, if I were a guest in my own house, what would I like to see? What would I like to receive? I, I once stayed at a um, friend's house in New York. I don't have particular, I don't have a lot of bathroom issues. I'll go to the bathroom anywhere. But this friend knew that a lot of guests, are, they feel uncomfortable. I mean, can we just admit together, is this true for some of you? One of the reasons you don't want to stay at someone's house is because of the whole business of going to the bathroom and Maybe, you know, if the trumpet has to blow a little bit, you don't want to be heard. And it's a little awkward, right, to do, use the bathroom in someone else's home, especially when the walls are thin and all of that. And so maybe you turn on the radio, turn on the fan, but it doesn't. So this guy was sensitive to something that I didn't care about. But he was, you know, I'll, I'll blow my trumpet anyway. But he was real sensitive. So he said, you know what, I, I kind of kicked my kid out of his basement bedroom. We got a separate bathroom down there. You have a lot of privacy Just go to town, man. You just enjoy it. Think of it as your private apartment while you're here. And I remember thinking how unusual it is for someone not to think, well, this is the best room I could give up to you, but more, I want to give you the best room for you. I want to just kick my own son out of his room so you feel like an honored guest in our house. They borrowed an extra car from a friend who just had one. he said, why don't you use this car, drive it around? I mean, they thought of everything. It was as if they were the traveler and they had preemptively thought about all the things I would want or need as a guest and they provided it without my having to ask. And I just thought, that's an amazing thing. That, to me, is the mark of Christian hospitality. Is it's not just, here's a room, you know, whatever, but it's the, it's the mint under the pillow or whatever. You know, it's that little extra touch that says, I really, I, I expected you. I thought about what it would be like to be in your shoes and here's the best that my family has to offer you. Look also at this. It says they welcomed all of us. And, you know, it's actually supposed to be red, but you can't see it in this projection. But the word all is important. They welcomed every last one of the 300 of us. I want you to see in that the scope, the scale of hospitality. They didn't begin with, wow, this is inconvenient. This is what we can afford. They said, look, we wouldn't want to be you guys drenched and cold on this beach, surviving a shipwreck. Just come on, we'll figure it out. we got a lot of villagers here. We've got a lot of houses. Somehow we'll divvy you up, but we're going to take care of you. Don't be burdened about a thing. That's a very unusual thing in human life. To come across people who don't first think about the inconvenience to themselves, but they say, we wouldn't want to be in your shoes. We'll figure it out. Just let's go and find some warmth. And they did. That's the amazing thing. These guys didn't just stay for a day. They stayed through the entire winter for a period of three months. They hung out with these people in Malta and received their hospitality free of charge. I hope that marks hospitality at harvest, that there will be a largeness to the way we do hospitality. And I don't mean by that fanciness or expensiveness, but I mean an expansiveness, a bigness of our hearts, of our willingness to be put out so that others can find in our own homes a place of warmth and welcome. But here's the other great part of the story. I also believe that the practice of hospitality brings you a blessing, that even as you're being put out and burdened, if you do it right, you're going to get just as blessed as the people that you're serving. And I see that in two really important ways here in their story. And the first is... is um how come I, I'm missing a slide here somewhere? Here. That their guests expanded their view of reality. For these Maltese islanders, the guests they were caring for expanded their view of how the world works. Here's what happens Paul, not being a shirker, I like Paul's style. He's right there with everybody else picking up firewood. And he grabs this large bundle of brushwood full of dry sticks. And when I, And imagine his surprise when as he's shaking them onto the fire, one of them starts moving. And I love the euphemism here. It attached itself to his hand. It's not exactly Velcro. The thing bit his hand. I don't know if you know what a viper looks like, but I think I put a picture in here. There it is. That, you can't really see it. But vipers are ugly, vicious-looking snakes. They have those little snouts that, like that. They look like nostrils. And they have sharp teeth. I saw pictures of viper bites on the internet this past week that made me want to throw up. The the arm just swells, and it becomes like pussy, and uh, it boils, and it's just, it's disgusting. A viper bite is nothing to sneeze at. And so here's Paul, and all of a sudden, and maybe they wrote it that way because Paul was so calm. He's like, oh, look, viper attached itself to my hand. That's just Paul, I guess. And this thing's dangling there, and these, these islanders, they lived there, they knew right away what kind of snake that was. They said, "No, that's not a good snake to be bitten by," and they're watching. And this is kind of morbid. They're watching to see, like, this guy's gonna die. Come here, come look at this. This guy has a viper on his hand, kids. This is a lesson. Never. <laughs> and I'm sure all the moms are lecturing the kids. Watch this man die and let it be a lesson to you. But don't. But there's Paul going. Oh man, that's very inconvenient. And he shakes off the snake into the fire. And they're waiting. It says they waited a very long time. Don't worry, maybe he's just really strong, but he's going to die eventually. He's going to like this. Nothing happens to him. And here's the thing. For these islanders, this was not a questionable thing in nature. Every single time someone got bit, every single time they died. There was no mystery, no open-endedness to the situation. They were locked into one way of understanding reality. When this happens, this always happens. There is no other way but the natural way. That's because they hadn't met God. They didn't realize that sometimes when these things happen, there is another answer because God is mighty. When God enters the equation, you don't always have the natural outflow of things. One person cheats on another. Every time in the world, that marriage is going to end. But with God in the picture, something amazing can happen. A child goes down the path with bad friends, gets into drugs and whatnot, and everyone goes, well, we know how that story is going to end. Well, not if God's in the picture, because when God and his people enter the picture, everyone is treated to a very surprising new view of reality. It doesn't always end the way you think. And that's one of the beautiful things about being about showing hospitality, especially to guests who are of Christ, that you will see in their lives and the conversations late at night a picture of God being filled out that will surprise you and bless you beyond any burden borne for playing host to them. You know, I've had guests in my home, missionaries who are traveling through the country, and, you know... At first, you're like, wow, I don't really know this person that well. They're going to sleep in our basement. I don't want to clean up my house. But they come, and then at night, we share a cup of coffee or something, just start talking. And as they tell me about the world they live in, as they tell me about their work in faraway places, every single time, I get more blessed than they do. Because through their lives and through their eyes, this little, small, narrow view of the world and of God that's developing gets cracked, shattered. And I see God through another person's life in the most powerful ways. Whenever you have a guest in your home, bother them a little bit. Talk to them. Listen to their story. You'll be amazed how often God will use your guests to blow up your view of who he is and how life works. Their story, their testimony may be exactly why God sent them your way. And their story may exactly deal with the burdens you're bearing in your own life right now. You know, there's another thing that I see in here, uh, another way in which, um, and by the way, it, it says here, uh, the, the thing I wanted to point out was they changed their minds. Do you see that? Seeing this, after mulling it over, they go, well, you know what, maybe it doesn't work that way Maybe this guy has something. Now, they reached the wrong conclusion. They didn't say he has a God. They said he is a God. But God would correct that very shortly. But this tilled the soil of their hearts. It plowed it over, made them ready for the ministry verbally, which Paul would very soon bring to them. I think there's another way in which when we are hospitable to others, we receive a blessing. And that is that the guests minister to them in return. You know, there were really two broad groups of people on the island of Malta. There were a bunch of Roman um, dignitaries, and along with them, the way it worked in the Roman militaries, if you served in the army for 20 years, if you lived that long and actually retired, they would give you a small fortune and a big plot of land to be your estate. That was the deal. If you could live to, to see 20 years of military service, you are the man, seriously. And they would give you this massive estate. And so on the island of Malta, there were a lot of very large estates, and the island of Malta at that time was known for its luxurious residential architecture. It would have been like Malibu in the ancient world. You know what I'm talking about? Where the houses are just ridiculous, and you, you, they would put them in magazines to show how great they were. And so that was one part of the population of Malta, where these wealthy Roman retired military guys and dignitaries living in huge estates probably serviced by the islanders who found great work servicing the grounds and all of that. And then there were these islanders native to Malta who lived in their own homes and had this rich culture of warm hospitality for one another, which you can still observe if you go to Malta today. Well, these groups of people, they were being hospitable to these guys, but what they realized was God had airdropped or, I guess, shipped over the answer to their prayers right onto the shore of their little island. It turns out that Publius, who was the governor of the island, appointed directly by by the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus himself, he was the highest ranking man on the island, but for all his wealth and rank, his father who was dying of illness, he couldn't do anything for him. He could make him comfortable in his final days, but there was nothing he could do to save his father's life. And one day he opened his large home to all 300 guests, And it says for three days he entertained them hospitably. Let me just say, that's a baller house. When you could have 300 house guests for three days, you're a baller. I don't care what you say. You live in a small hotel. And so this guy puts them up for three days, feeds them well, and while they're doing this, it's clear that they got close because Luke refers to Publius by his first name. That's just unheard of. You don't refer to the governor by, hey, yo, Publius. You would call him the governor, but it's an indication that in those three days, they got tight. They really got to know each other. And while they were there, it turned out that, that Paul became aware that Publius' father was in another room in the house, sick and dying. And so, Paul, I mean, just being a follower of Christ, what are you going to do? What would you do in that situation? If you're a guest in someone's home, you say, How come that door is always shut? Well, my father is in that room, he's dying. That's not an easy thing for most Christians. You're like, ooh, awkward. Actually, I gotta get going. Um, I gotta get back home. My kids need me. That would be an awkward situation. But Paul, because he knows the power of God, because the love of Christ is so filled him, he can no longer ignore that situation. He can't just drink the guy's wine and eat the guy's food and go, hey, that dying father. Just as long as he's on the other wing, we can kind of. He doesn't have to dampen the party. Paul cannot ignore it. So now it's his mission. He makes it his purpose to go into that room. And I'm sure that wasn't an easy thing to gain access to. But he's trusted. He goes in and he lays hands on the man. He prays for him and he's revived. He gets better. Well, there's no way you're going to keep that a secret, especially if it's the governor's father. And so news spreads all over the island. And think about Publius in his position. I'm sure to whatever gods he knew before, he was praying, don't let my daddy die like this. I don't care how old you are. I just spent the day with my dad yesterday. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your father is always going to be your daddy. And I can't imagine how helpless it feels to know that there's nothing human you can do to prolong your your own father's life. He must have been praying very hard to whatever god or gods he had. And one day, 300 wet, drenched, soggy, cold guys washed up on shore... How could he have known that those men whom he was being hospitable to were the answer to his prayers? How could he possibly have engineered a situation like that? And here comes Paul, and he wields a power in the name of Jesus Christ that Publius had never, ever seen. It wasn't even in his vocabulary or worldview, because these things don't happen. Sick people, this sick, always die. But once again, because God was in the equation, the story didn't end so predictably. His father stands up, maybe does an Irish jig, I don't know, but he's happy to be alive, and the whole island hears of it, and they bring all their sick people, and these hosts now become the beneficiaries of their guest's ministry. As Paul, one by one, ministers to each of these families, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and for three months, imagine the ministry he had among them. I really believe that in practicing the ministry of hospitality, we not only give to somebody else, but through our guests, God gives us incredible gifts. It's weird. I've traveled, and because when I'm traveling, now, I've, I've learned, tried to have the discipline of, I call it the ministry of being a guest. Before, being a guest for me was just finding a cheap place to stay where I don't have to pay for a hotel. I'm like, cool, I have a friend in the city, free lodging. But I'm learning that there's this whole other ministry of being a guest where I'm thinking, why has God brought me into their home? Yes, they're being generous, but for what purpose am I in this family's place of dwelling right now? And as I stay up late at night, just listening, I I do so much counseling as a house guest. Free. You know what I'm saying? It's like until like four in the morning. Oh Lord, I'm so sleepy. They gave me this beautiful bed and they're not letting me use it. But that family is clear. They have pains. They have burdens and no one to unload this to. And here I am, a pastor at their kitchen table. They're taking full advantage and it's my ministry back to them. And it's weird how some of these people, as I'm saying goodbye, they're saying thank you for eating our food and staying at our house. Why does that happen? Because I believe being a house guest is a ministry too. And it's important for us to think about what our purpose is as we receive the kindness of others. People wonder if Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But I love this verse in Hebrews. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I really think it's an important ministry to show hospitality. You never know who is coming into your house and for what purpose God has brought you together, but I promise you there is a purpose. And so I end with this admonition from Peter in 1 Peter 4.9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And let me give you this final practical application. I, I see a few ways in which we can go home from here And put into practice the ministry of hospitality. The first place I would give you is this. Hospitality starts at the home. I think we're often most careless when it comes to the emotional and spiritual temperature and climate of our own homes. Our children are watching us and they see us saccharine sweet toward our house guests. And as soon as they leave, we become just trolls again. Just yelling commands. We're so ungracious to our own families. And we're so smooth to our guests. And what are our children learning? They don't feel safely on shore in their own house. I'm asking you, what is the emotional temperature of your home? How do you give or withhold or withdraw love and uh, acceptance of your children in your home? Is every member of your family feeling safe in your own house right now? Is there hospitality, or is there, if we don't toe the line, mom and dad stop loving us. Husband and wife reject us the minute we stop performing at our peak. There is no grace, there is no healing, there is no kindness that leads to repentance. There is just this sloppiness that comes with familiarity. That should not be the case in the home of those who follow Jesus Christ. The ministry of hospitality begins in our own homes. And if every member of our family does not feel safely on shore in our house, then what we're doing for our house guests is nothing more than a show, isn't it? Let's not do that. As you go home today, think about whether there is hospitality under your own roof for your own flesh and blood. When I hear sometimes the way people argue, The way they fight with their own beloved just grieves my heart. That's the way we once were, Ephesians says. When we were slaves to our flesh, when we knew no other way. But in Christ we are set free from that kind of life. There is another way, always. You don't have to do everything through the pathway of anger and acceptance and conditional love. There is a gospel way and that ministry of hospitality must begin at home for our own families. Amen? Now, I don't think there's a family here that hears this and doesn't have something going all day. There's a, there's a camera, a surveillance camera in our house or something. He's got us bugged. I'm talking about my own house, man. I'm talking about my own family. Hospitality has to start at home. Let me also just say this. Hospitality must also be freely extended to one another in this place. The reason God gave us homes is for the purpose of hospitality. The early church was built in the location of the private home, not of a building like this. This is a very, very modern phenomenon. But in the earliest stages of the church, the church building was your home and my home. And I think it should be an odd thing if we do life with people for many years and never see the inside of their home. Now I don't know if you're um, excessively ashamed of your home because it's not beautiful and large and it doesn't show the true measure what you think your station in life should be, but that's not what it's about for us in the Christian community. We should not use our homes as a showcase for our achievements, but as a place to extend the warmth of the love of Christ. And if we've been doing life for a while, and I don't know what the inside of your house looks like, then I don't fully feel like we know each other yet. There's a big empty gap where it says, where do you live, man? I want to go to your house. I want to eat your food. I want to pee in your toilet. I want to be your guest, and I want you to be mine. That's something that's not easy to do in modern America with all our busy schedules, with how much it costs to entertain, but we must make the effort to open the doors of our hearts and our homes to one another. Let me just tell you this, okay? Let's be bold about it. If there's someone you've been friends with for at least three or four years and you haven't been to their house, if you haven't invited them, you invite them first. But if you've invited them, they haven't reciprocated, invite yourself over. Just walk up and go, dude, I need to see your house now. I don't care if it's clean. Let's just drive over right now. I'll bring some Subway. i got to see your house today. Try it. Just do it. We need to be in each other's private spaces in order to be a family. And for those of you who have so marvelously used your home this way, thank you for what the building you call your house has meant to this church family. It's been an amazing gift to us that you've used your house this way. And let me give you one last practical application of this. It's the one that's probably oddest for us to hear as Americans. But I think we need to resurrect the practice of hospitality to strangers. I don't mean just troll the mall looking for people who want to stay at your house. Let's be a little safer than that. But, you know, as a pastor, I regularly hear from people coming into town from all over the place, visiting pastors who are in church plants and startups that don't have the budget to, to rent a room at the Hyatt And I I wish that somehow there was a network of homes that would communicate to me, we're standing ready, we are on call. If you have a visitor like that, we've always got a spare room, we are good at hospitality. If you just give us a few days' notice, we would love to play host to these missionaries on furlough, these visiting scholars, these pastors, these Christian families that are coming to town for whatever event and they don't have family here. I would love for us to have a network of homes that say, you know what, God has given us This house, this empty room, we would love to use it for just that purpose. And I know it's not an easy thing to have someone you don't know, but at least it'll be someone I know. So it's not like a complete stranger. I'll be part of the vetting process, and, you know, if if they steal your silverware, I'll, I'll help you pay for it. I mean, I'll take the responsibility. But the truth is, I think these are some amazing people, and if you opened your homes to them, it would be a greater gift to you than to them. I want to ask if you would think about this seriously, pray about it. If you're married, you've got to talk about it together. You can't just answer on your own. Okay? But if you've talked about it, you agree to this, would you somehow communicate it to me that given X number of days' notice, you would love to use your home in this way and play host to some of these traveling Christians who could be an amazing gift to your family. The gift of hospitality is about including others in what we call family and taking people who feel cold and warming them up in the most profound way. And if we'll engage in it, God will do extraordinary things in our lives and in their lives. And it will warm up their hearts for the verbal message of the gospel in ways you could not believe. May God grant for us as a church that we will always be a homey, hospitable church. We'll always feel like family. Let's uh, let's bow together, let's let's pray. What I love is whether they were Roman officials with giant estates or simple villagers with a personal home. The citizens of this island as one person opened the doors to these nearly three hundred survivors. What a gift that was for these guys. For Paul, those three sweet months of rest and fellowship and warmth before he went to face trial and execution in Rome, what those three months must have meant to him, the difference that it made in his life forever. Maybe that'll be our privilege. Someday, just by opening our home, to be a difference maker in someone's life, a season when they really needed a place called home. So let's pray that God would do a work in us. That our home would be a sanctuary for others and not a fortress for us. Let's pray that now. Maybe in the months ahead, for business or for pleasure, you have plans to travel. And if you're like me, most of the time, it's easier just to rent a hotel. And even though you have friends in that city, it's easier to just kind of do your stuff. Don't get overly caught up in the obligations. Don't impose. But I want to encourage you, would you at least pray about that? Because maybe through your imposition, God will send you as a gift and minister into the home of a friend in that city who's sorely in need of someone to come. Maybe the reason you have business in that city in the first place is because God is moving you closer to where they are. I believe God uses the ministry of being a guest, the ministry of imposition to bring Christ into homes where He is so much in need. I encourage you, if you just take a moment, if you have upcoming travel, just to pray for greater openness to stay with friends in the cities you travel to. God, in weather this cold, we are perhaps more thankful than in any other time of the year for the warmth of our homes. God, I pray for all of us at Harvest that the place we live would be much more than a place to rest our heads and to hold our things. We pray, God, that each of our homes would be a sanctuary and a refuge for those who are traveling or wandering about or just lost that our home will be home to many others outside of our family and do a work in us, Lord, so that we can get over that barrier of the cost, the inconvenience, the awkwardness of doing this and see the amazing vision and the possibilities of this ministry. May those who come into contact With the people at Harvest Community Church always say of us that we were warm people who radiated the genuine love of Christ, projected acceptance and unconditional love towards others, that our homes were places where they felt at home. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.